It's hard to recall all of the details. I trust my mind will uncover them at unexpected times and moments in the years to come. But what is interesting with any memory is what we do remember. The glimpses, the snapshots, photographs of what we experienced. Our minds hold on to things often without asking us. And try as we may, we have control over so little in this life. But that's a reflection for another time, I imagine. But no, today. Today is a day of recalling for me of looking at the moments emerging in my mind and centering one event. Five years ago, to the day, I was ordained to the Unitarian Universalist ministry by this congregation, November 15th, 2015. It was in that moment, that celebration, that so many things occurred. Nothing supernatural happened. I didn't inherit extraordinary powers. I was still Brian when the service was completed. But I did emerge with the title, Reverend. I was allowed to wear stoles, the stripes that hang off of my shoulders. I had all of the rights and privileges of an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister. The day itself, though, the, the event and ritual and ceremony are, are worth lifting up. It was a celebration in the life of this congregation. Not just because you ordained me, but because you, the congregation, exercised a cherished privilege of the free church. The right to ordain your ministers. It's a day of great importance for a congregation, and it goes all the way back in our history. It's nothing unique today, but there was a time when it was radical, heretical, and countercultural to choose to ordain your own ministers. I'm thinking specifically of King's Chapel in Boston, the still unfinished chapel to, you guessed it, the king, King George specifically. But in the 1780s, King's Chapel ignored the edicts of the bishops of the Anglican Church and decided to ordain their own minister making them the first Unitarian church in the emerging American nation. Of course, the Puritans, also our spiritual ancestors, had exercised this right long before this. And our tradition, when you look at our history, has a way of saying, well, we'll just do it our own way, thank you very much. But I always bring our history into things because, well, first you know I love history. I love to tell these stories. But I also want all of us to, to not just know the thread connecting us, but to feel it. King's Chapel rebelled against what they felt was tyranny. What can we learn from this today? I think of these things of so many other threads in our history, um, and I think of them when I reflect on that day five years ago when I was ordained. Family and colleagues drove or flew in from all over. It was when my husband and I just closed on our house, and that evening was an affirmation of all the work that had been done to reach that point in my life. It wasn't just logging online and getting ordained in two seconds by filling out a form. Um, I don't think I'll ever fully unpack all of that, but here I was, the first in my family to have a master's degree, the first non-Christian minister, credentialed, educated, prepared, and ready. And as the clergy lined up for the traditional procession into this wonderful space, even with all of that preparedness, all of that work, all of that assurance, as the first notes of that grand old hymn, rank by rank, echoed throughout, I broke down crying. Gratefully, <laughs> the line of clergy was long enough that I could regain my composure. I think of that feeling, though. It wasn't sadness, disappointment, fear, or weariness. It was humility mixed with awe. So many dear friends in town to celebrate this moment. My mentor, my minister, the Reverend Ed Searle, was there to give the charge to me as a minister. His last official duty as a minister before he died. 
My other mentor sent greetings. My internship supervisor gave the sermon. Friends from seminary, family, and all of you. It was a traditional ordination as far as Unitarian Universalists are concerned, but intentionally so. Certain traditions were observed, words were said, formalities enacted, and in rituals such as an ordination, there is a reason we do things a certain way. Because that ordination was not just about me. It wasn't just about you, the UU Church of Lexington. It was about the lineage of the free church, a lineage that connects us to all who have questioned orthodoxy and fundamentalism. All who have dared to say there is another way and to believe differently and to be differently. Now, the high point of an ordination is what we call the laying on of hands. This isn't unique to us, but what could be considered unique is that everyone gets to participate, not just the ordained. And I know more traditions are doing this today now. I've been to ordinations where only those with the title reverend could partake. But in Unitarian Universalism, the hands of the unordained are just as important in our tradition. And what happens is that the ordinand, such an official word, kneels in the center of the congregation. Colleagues and family gather behind, congregation members in front, and then the hands start falling on you. On shoulders, back, arms, head, and when no one else can reach you, they put their hands on the shoulders of those around them and so on and so forth. Everybody is connected. And in some way, in that moment, the identity of the person being ordained is lost, along with the identities of everyone there. Who is an individual in such a moment? What is this self you speak of? When we are all connected, intertwined, one gathered body not of individuals, but a congregation, what is it we are ordaining? Who is it we are ordaining? A prayer is then said in that moment. At my ordination, the hymn Hush was sung after the prayer. The familiar words ringing out, hush, hush. Somebody's calling my name. Oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord, what shall I do? Afterwards, the ordinand rises, now a reverend, not imbued with anything other than the blessing of the community. Now, think for a minute of the hands that were laid upon you. Just, just go ahead and think of that. Because I'm thinking about the ones that were on me. Family, friends, colleagues, yours. I think of my minister, Ed Searle, whose hands reach back to a glorious time of Unitarian history, the Radical Western Conference. Hands that connected us and me to luminaries such as Swami Vivekananda, William Channing Gannett, Augusta Chapin, all the way back to the transcendentalists themselves, an unbroken lineage of heretics and spiritual adventurers. In Christian churches, they say their laying on of hands reaches the apostles. That's great and all, but I look to the rebels of our faith. I think of the hands of my colleagues, whose congregations and colleagues laid hands upon them, reaching back into family histories and spiritual lineages unknown to me. I think of my family, connecting me with the hands of all those Irish priests and monks, with people I'll never meet and hardly know, reaching back in time to when my ancestors were indigenous of a place. That's what that word means, of a place. Worshiping gods and goddesses with names such as Odin or Maeve, working the land and feeling intimately connected to it, of being truly of the land and of a place. I think of the hands of my family reaching all the way back to that time. I think of all of you 
your own life stories and families and experiences. So many people I'll never know, stories I'll never hear, still connected and reaching into that moment. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I wasn't there, so I wasn't a part of this. Oh, no, 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 no. I can guarantee this. In that great web of witnesses, those present and those connected to that moment, you were there. You didn't know it, but now you do. What an awe-inspiring thing to reflect on. And you got to be a part of that. And if we're being honest, it has nothing to do with me as an individual. It has everything to do with the web, the reaching into and throughout history. It has to do with this living tradition, ever breathing and growing. There was nothing supernatural about it, but in, it almost sounds that way. All of this connection and weaving together, and it was beautiful. We are part of that heritage. We are part of that weaving. Now, after the laying on of hands, there's the presentation of the stole, from the Latin stola, a garment or equipment. Two strips of cloth hang around the shoulders. For Unitarian Universalist ministers, the stole means different things. Of course it does. That's always our answer. But traditionally, though, it refers to a verse of Christian scripture, a few verses of Christian scripture, but one of them is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all that you are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The stole is often called the yoke of ministry or the symbol of the office. I think about that verse, though, especially when Jesus said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was lying. There is nothing easy or light about ministry. Well, okay, maybe he wasn't lying. But he had a wicked sense of humor in that verse. A few verses earlier, Jesus was chewing out the unrepentant. And in the next chapter, he's putting the Pharisees in their place. Sandwiched in between those two are those verses. Those weren't easy conversations that he was having before and after he said those verses. Whenever that took place in the timeline of his life. There was nothing light and burden-free about it. However, I still think about Jesus' words. Easy yoke, light burden. What if the point here is that when we take that upon our shoulders, the example of someone like Jesus of Nazareth or whichever luminary or prophet or great teacher that you follow in their teachings, and we feel that weight, maybe there's a point where all that passes away and we are free. If we can confidently go into life being a voice of justice, forgiveness, and healing, is that not more free than avoiding conflict? Worrying about how we are perceived constantly and choosing politeness over right relationship. If we don't call out the powers that enact injustice, isn't that more burdensome than what John Lewis called good trouble? So maybe Jesus wasn't lying. He was making a clear point. It might feel difficult and heavy at first, but once we enter into it, once we let it fall upon our shoulders, there is great freedom. Ministers aren't expected to carry the yoke for everyone. This is symbolic. Symbolic of your calling as a congregation, just as much as it is of my calling. Symbolic of your answering the invitation to discover the freedom this faith affords. 
but to also gathering community and right relationship. This congregation placed that yoke, this stole, on me. In that act, there was an acknowledgement that I am your minister and this is your ministry. Now, don't get ahead of yourself and send me wish lists yet. What your ministry means is not demanding a church or any community meet every single whim that we have. That's impossible. But what it does mean is that when we take action, when we make commitments, when we say yes to this place, we do so with integrity, with generosity, and with every indication that we will follow through. Your hands are the hands of the great heretics that brought us to this place. Your yoke is the yoke placed upon every clergy person's shoulders, an emblem of the free church that calls us to dedicate ourselves to justice, mercy, radical forgiveness, and accountability. And some of you thought you were just signing a membership book and enjoying cake after service. But sadly, there is no sheet cake to celebrate today, this fifth anniversary of my ordination by this wonderful congregation. And, and no, please, I don't need cake. If you do, go right ahead. I'm, I'm good, though. I don't need any. What this is, however, this reflection, it, it is a call to reflect on the ministry of this place, of how we live our values, of how we follow through on our commitments, and of what is possible it's that centering of possibility that has allowed the successes of these past five years to be made manifest. This church has grown, and before the pandemic, we were one of the fastest growing among churches our size in the denomination. We addressed several imminent building needs creatively and sustainably. We turned inward to invite people to tackle issues of anti-racist work, and now we are turning outward. We adopted the Eighth Principle, one of the first congregations to do so amongst our 1,200 sister congregations in this country. We are digging deep in the sustainability of our land and buildings, asking hard questions about our values and how they translate into budgets and structures and governing. We are imagining what our ministry can and should be. And so I'm grateful, five years ago to now, to serve this free faith in this congregation, to wear this symbol of our shared ministry together. This stole right here is the one this congregation made to celebrate that day five years ago. It combines the Japanese aesthetic of wabi-sabi, art deco, and Frank Lloyd Wright motifs. This one right here, let me grab another, time for some show and tell, was made by our religious exploration program. Hands of our children and young adults of beloved people. Some are with us still, some have moved on, life has taken them elsewhere but still their hands are here, a visible symbol. This stole right here was the first one I ever purchased in my ministry, ever. I was a first-year seminarian, and it was a hopeful purchase, looking to the day that I could wear it as a reverend. Plus, it, you know, it has a, a pocket in the back, which is amazing and wonderful for books and matches. This stole right here was made by a Wiccan priestess in Milwaukee, full of good vibes and blessings. Reminds me that we are connected to this beautiful universe and connected traditions far and wide. This stole right here belongs to my husband's uncle, a retired Catholic missionary living in Australia. I wore it when I preached in Melbourne and he was there. 
And it was the first time that he had seen this stole in decades since he moved to Australia. Such a beautiful thing. And this one was made by brilliant artists in this congregation to celebrate winter, which is upon us. And there are so many others. Besides liking the fashion of ministry, stoles are amazing. If you, ever, by the way, if you ever want to find me at General Assembly and you can't look for me at the stole vendors, that's where I'll be. But, but besides that, I wear these lightly and with reverence. They have nothing to do with me, but everything to do with the hands, hopes, aspirations, values, ministry, and beacon of Unitarian Universalism. And so for five years, amen, blessed be, may it continue to be so. But for all of us, I leave you with two questions. Whose hands are on your back, ordaining you to this glorious present moment? And what is your greatest, most loving hope for the shared ministry of this place? Blessed be. Amen.